Hello and welcome to the Profiting from Data podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Bill Pecoriello, founder and CEO of Consumer Edge. Bill was one of the founders of Morgan Stanley's AlphaWise data offering over 15 years ago. His company, Consumer Edge, enables its clients to obtain insights about the consumer from consumer transaction data. On this episode, Bill talks about how far the alternative data industry has come over the last five to 10 years, use cases of government, corporates, PE, and asset managers. Please enjoy this dialogue between Bill and your host, Emmett Kilduff. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Anne. You've worked at Wall Street for a long time. How did you get started in your career? Oh, I started my career. Uh, my whole career has been about finance and insights and started in high school working for my dad on the New York Commodities Exchange uh, where Trading Places uh, was filmed. Um, so started out very early in uh, an interest in finance. Uh, then I moved into uh, computer engineering, uh, then into strategy consulting to consumer companies. From there, I wound up on uh, Wall Street, eventually wound up at Sanford Bernstein, where I uh, started using data as a sell-side analyst uh, to make investment decisions. And from there, I went to Morgan Stanley, uh, continued that. And then 11 and a half years ago, left Morgan Stanley and started my first company, Consumer Edge Research. Fantastic. And we both worked at Morgan Stanley. Uh, in fact, that was where I got the original inspiration to launch Eagle Alpha from, from the AlphaWise team. Um, maybe could you tell us a bit about AlphaWise, especially in the early days? Yeah. So uh, when I left Bernstein and went to Morgan Stanley in um, 2001 and uh, brought my kind of fundamental data type uh, research to Morgan Stanley, and built up a team there, and we were doing a lot of primary research, and uh, executives at Morgan Stanley took notice of what we were doing and really wanted to bring that out to all the other analysts in the in the department. And so we took one of the uh, uh, employees, someone on my team, who actually came from my consulting world, my strategy consultant world, I brought him onto my beverage team at Morgan Stanley, and AlphaWise uh, was created uh, at that point, uh, kind of sprung off of my team and watching what we were doing with data. And then, uh, yeah, and then it, was, it sprung off into this central uh, type uh, type group. And so that was well over, I think, 15 years ago now, which is quite remarkable looking back. Um, but if we, if we come closer to where we are today, in the last three to five years, um, how, from your perspective, has the alternative data space evolved? Yeah, you know, you have, uh, first of all, you know, I was, uh, I've been using data in the investment process going back, you know, over the last uh, 20 uh, years, you know, back from the, the Bernstein uh, days, you know, and so, uh, and I've always been in consumer and consumer data has been around for investors through that entire period. But, you know, back then we were doing also, uh, we were doing things like calling uh, grocery stores to get pricing data and that type of thing. Uh, when I started Consumer Edge, you know, 10 years ago, we started really seeing uh, it evolving into much more sophisticated data, which really happened on the consumer side, you know, over the last 10 years. And so, you know, you had the early adopters where it was just uh, just having the ability to deal with the data and clean the data and host the data, manage, analyze it was an extreme competitive advantage. And only a couple of firms that were able to do that when you go back 10 years ago. 
then you go back five years ago, it really started getting, you know, uh, used more broadly across dozens or even hundreds uh, of firms uh, uh, as the data became more available and, and as, you know, the ability to analyze data. Uh, you didn't need to have all the engineering behind it necessarily. It was starting to be delivered in more template form and easily digestible form. Um, and then what we've seen now in the last uh, uh, two or three years is just an explosion uh, in the in the types of data, um, uh, the, obviously the number of, uh, of clients that are using the data, which continues to grow, and the types of data, and then, you know, starting to see different, you know, use cases uh, for the data. Um, so it's really accelerated in the last couple of years. So if we move on to, to use cases, uh, Bill, uh, maybe starting with um, government, Do, does consumer edge of clients in the government space, what type of use cases are you seeing there? Yeah, we do. We have uh, um, clients, uh, you know, recently um, in, in the last year uh, for the government. And um, it's really about the the limitations in the data that the government has has been about, you know, their lag and uh, and the scale of the data. So it's kind of amazing when you look at these kind of macro stats that are put out, uh, retail sales and, and those kind of stats. You know, the government will go out and survey uh, retailers and then they, they process that data and, and it kind of comes out many, many weeks later. And in the especially in the world that we're in now, uh, we find ourselves in 2020. Um, with things changing so fast, uh, the government has needed uh, to have data much quicker and on much broader scale uh, than uh, than survey type uh, techniques. So we've found that because our data has a very low latency and has massive scale, uh, you know that the government um, has found itself you know needing that type of data. And the use cases are really for ma- uh, looking in our case and looking at the macro. You know, economy understanding at uh, at the city, at the state level, by category or by sub industry, um, what is happening uh, in near real time uh, with a really good you know good sample size. When you say government bill, do you mean uh, treasury, um, central bank, uh, munis? You know, which 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 part of governments are engaging with you? It's more, you know, the kind of the, the Fed, uh, you know, where they need to monitor the uh, the economy. So we're talking about the at the Fed uh, level. And are overseas uh, central banks um, also reaching out to you to understand what's happening in in the states? No, in our in the government side, for us thus far, it's been uh, U.S. only uh, that we're working with. Okay. Um, and. It's interesting you said in the last year. So you you really do think that COVID has been an accelerator uh, for you to engage with governments, hundred percent, because it's the need the, the need for that timely data of you know of course uh, other verticals as well, but especially with the government, the need of having timely data, granular data, and at scale uh, became very very important. So hundred uh, percent, COVID accelerated uh, the use case for that. Yes. And so if we move to the corporate vertical. Um, I assume the biggest part of your client base today is asset managers, uh, but it, is corporates uh, an area that excites you and what type of use cases are you seeing? Yeah, it really excites us. And you're correct, uh, based, especially based on our history, institutional investors, public equity investors were the bulk of our business, especially since you know, 11 and a half years ago, I started the research business uh, to serve those investors. That was my entire background from Bernstein and Morgan Stanley. But yes, uh, corporate um, 
we see as a very important opportunity. And what we learned uh, was that we could not just take the product that we developed for investors and give it to corporates. We tried that uh, initially. Um, and the use cases and the skill sets, it, it's so different. Uh, everything from the customer service to the product itself is so, the selling process, all aspects of it are so different that we had to set up uh, you know, separate product teams, separate selling teams uh, uh, to go after corporate. We do see it a very big, because in, you know, in our case, it's consumer. That's our focus. And so there are just thousands and thousands of consumer companies that we track and that we can, you know, public and private that we can provide value to. And so we're in the very early, uh, early days of that, but it does excite us. And uh, typically who, who are you selling into at the corporates bill? Is it the chief data officer? Is it, who, who is it? You know, it, it varies, but you know, if the company does have kind of a, a data analytics or, uh, or consumer insights, you know, type group, that's the the group that it's going into, um, you know. So you have, you know, but the data then after you have that quarterback, which could be the data analyst uh, or insights person, then it is being used broadly across marketing, finance, investor relations, C level. Um, uh, you know, it could even be real the real estate group. Uh, but yeah, it seems to mostly be quarterbacked by kind of a data analyst um, insights uh, type group. And can you give um, one or two examples of, of how your data can add value to these clients? Yeah, you know, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, number one, uh, competitive insights. So um, even if they think they know a lot about their own uh, customers from a lot of data that they have on their customers, loyalty programs, uh, uh, you know, email lists, et cetera, uh, knowing about the competition is, uh, is a very important use case. And then we find that even when it comes to their own customers, they don't really necessarily know what their own customers are doing uh, when they're outside of the um, interacting with other businesses or uh, or maybe in channels that uh, that they can't track as well. Uh, so their own customer insight, and then you get into the marketing, uh, you know, promotional world because uh, again we're in consumer, so understanding uh, you know promotional uh, kind of insights, and then uh, another use case after that would kind of be location type insights. You know, with retailers opening and closing stores. Uh, what's happening kind of at a, a granular geo level. So those are, you know, but, you know, start with competition is one of the most uh, important use cases. And, you know, a lot of the sophisticated hedge funds take in data, raw data via API. Or do these clients want data more curated in dashboard forms? Yeah, you know, like you're seeing in, in anything like investors, there's a very broad spectrum of sophistication, uh, but corporates are, um, in general, uh, less sophisticated than the investor side. And so, yes, the need for those kind of dashboards are number one. It's not that we don't see corporates that do, do want to have the kind of machine readable feed and go into their own internal visualization systems and databases, but uh, you see that as a much lower percentage than you would on the investor side. So it is much more about the visualizations and more self-serve type platforms. Mm-hmm. And switching then to the private equity vertical, um, what are what are the types of use cases you're seeing there with your data? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. We saw on the investor side, uh, you know, the hedge funds first, and then the quants 
there. Uh, and we could talk about that at, uh, at later if you want. But the quants were kind of slower to get into the alternative data. They had been using all the market data uh, forever. Uh, but they, uh, what we see um, on the PE side is that they were used to kind of project driven. So help me out on this uh, diligence that I'm doing. And of course, uh, the world that we're in, we'd rather sell you know, a subscription for a year for our platform and not get into, uh, which I was in, as I mentioned, I was in for five plus years. I was in strategy consulting. So I know all about the consulting business. Um, but our business model was more about kind of a SaaS model. And what you're seeing now is that the private equity venture capital firms are now adopting the SaaS model and understanding they need to subscribe uh, to these products um, uh, like they would with a Salesforce or other uh, you know, SaaS type tools that they would subscribe to. Um, and so uh, we're seeing that now. And then the use cases are things like first, you know, discovery, uh, discovering investment ideas. Uh, then, of course, doing the due diligence on an investment uh, uh, idea that they're looking into. And then you have, you know, monitoring uh, existing uh, portfolio uh, holdings. So those are the use cases uh, that we're seeing early days. But we're seeing adoption now of more of this kind of understanding they need to subscribe uh, to the product and more of a SaaS model and, and more of a, an ongoing type model. And so what's an example, maybe focusing in on deal origination, how can your data help help them uh, identify you know, an interesting company to reach out to? Oh, yeah, we're tracking so many uh, thousands uh, of, uh, of companies, very, you know, very small. So you get into uh, it could be a small emerging company in a certain geography, but we have such scale uh, and timeliness on the data that you're able to um, go into the data and look for. Uh, companies that are um, seeing really rapid growth that might be concentrating a certain geography that are expanding geographies. So you can have some really early identification, um, you know, of ideas. Uh, and it could even be something where uh, you're looking at a certain category and there's an established player and you're seeing a new player into the market and suddenly gain share. So very early identification because you're, you're tracking uh, you know, anything uh, that's for us in the case of consumer, anything that's online or physically in store uh, across, you know, two thirds of the economy touches the consumer in our case. So we're seeing uh, you're able to really uh, early identify uh, emerging new brands. How many companies or brands are you tracking now? We are up at 8,000 now and we're uh, um, and, and growing really rapidly. You know, we're adding a couple of hundred a week. So I expect, you know, in the next few weeks, we'll be at 10,000. Uh, of course, now uh, we're mostly what we're adding are uh, tracking of small or private companies. And there's always new companies emerging. Uh, but, you know, we'll be at the kind of 10,000 plus level, uh, which is pretty significant. I think when you go back three or four years ago, you were talking about a lot of this kind of data, uh, alternative data was looking at companies in the couple of hundred uh, companies. And now, you know, we're kind of 10,000 plus we're approaching here. And across the th three use cases of PE, deal origination, due diligence, post-acquisition value creation, wh where are most of the use cases that you're seeing? Which, which of those three buckets? Uh, we are seeing it in, uh, in Discover and, and in Diligence, mostly. Okay. Okay, very good. And uh, so then let's move to the buy side for, for asset managers. Um, uh, clearly, there's so many different use cases that we can talk about here. Um, maybe if we start with quants, because they were first to the party uh, in the old data space, how, how are 
how are quants using your data? Can you give some color to listeners? Yeah, well, the key for the quants is it needs to be, you know, automated, uh, machine readable. So it's not about the visualizations and templates. You need to have a, a process. It needs to be, uh, they need to have uh, a lot of history. They need to have all the point in time data. Uh, they don't want, you know, you can't uh, be changing your, you know, your algorithms uh, on them in terms of how, uh, how you're doing your indexing or, you know, coming up with your panels and all that it needs to be very, very consistent. And, um, and then they are, you know, plugging it in um, on their side and, uh, and, you know, doing all their back testing on their own, proving out that there's signal and value in the data. And then, uh, and then we're kind of piping that in with regularity uh, every day, uh, you know, after they do the historical uh, testing and build their, build their models around it. Uh, they tend to be more focused on kind of the ticker uh, level you know, our, our, our data gets into all kinds of other metrics where you're getting down to all the sub brands and uh, and the pricing and the geographic cuts and the demographic cuts and all this type of stuff you can do with it. But they are very focused on kind of at the ticker level, uh, what the kind of uh, in our case, it would be more like the rolled up sales. And then they're plugging that into their models and blending it with, uh, you know, many, many other data sets and uh, the magic and secret sauce that they work on their side to uh to generate alpha, you know, off the, off the data set. And, and we're more, you know, kind of piping the data in and, and they're more worried about if something goes wrong, you know, why, you know, something goes wrong with the data, uh, don't change anything in your, in your algorithms, you know, in terms of how you're uh, feeding them the panel and stuff. And they just kind of want consistency at that point. And some systematic and quant firms would say that if a data set can give them 10 X the cost of the data set, they will purchase the data set. Have you heard of that sort of return on investment type model? Is that something that you're seeing? You know, for us, when we deal with the quants, it's much more, you know, they take in the data. Uh, we, you know, answer a lot of questions about the data, tell them, you know, uh, at the beginning, it's all about, you know, what it's tracking, how we're gathering the data, any any uh, blind spots we have, any biases, that type of stuff. But then they will go off and do their testing and they will come back to us and let us know after that, uh, uh, trial period because we, we, testing with a quant is not just back testing. We'll also go do a live, you know, uh, trial where they need to go through a quarter, you know, at least a ninety-day period live after they back tested it to see uh, that it's doing what they wanted to do, and then they then they at that point have uh, decided internally that it's you know meeting their hurdle uh, and their requirement for alpha. Uh, not really giving us a lot of uh, feedback on exactly how much alpha they've generated um off of it but kind of you know uh, we'll get the green light at the end of that 90 day uh at the 90 day period and and uh, and we've had a lot of success uh with quants and so you know you know uh, that you have signal and your data is good when you have a, a growing number of quants that are seeing that signal in it and um and that continues today yeah maybe our discussion about use cases will be more interesting outside the quants because you actually get feedback yeah so if we talk about discretionary funds and their use cases of your data what what are some of the the most common use cases you know what's amazing is the the you know the number one use case in terms of you know calling the quarter um it's amazing right it was the use case 10 years ago it was the use case five years ago and today is still the number one use case. So when you go to talk to the uh, investor, they want to see how this correlates um, with a fundamental metric, right? So it's not about how this correlates with the stock price, but how it correlates with the fundamental metric that you are tracking, you know, the kind of the ground truth. And you, and you have to get past that hurdle because if it does not 
correlate with a ground truth or explain the ground truth to them, then you can't move beyond that and get into the other use cases, right? The first thing they need to do, and by, and by the way, on the corporate side too, you see that. This has to track some known reality because you're not going to ask questions of the data and trust any of the answers if you can't trust it on some basic ground truth and known reality that you have about what the business is doing. Same thing on the corporate side. So uh, still this calling the quarter um, is the number one use case. Uh, and and uh, within that, though, there's now, uh, you know, understanding the limitations of, of the data set. So what does this track? What doesn't it track? Um, is it missing channels? Is it missing geographies? Is it missing certain types of uh, payment types or, or, or distribution channels? So in our case is, you know, does it track Apple Pay? Uh, does it is it including Instacart and DoorDash? Uh, do you have geographic biases? Does it include cash? Does it include if someone writes a check? You know, so you get into understanding that and then the buy side needing to fill in other types of data where your particular data set uh, might have uh, voids and whatever. But that, you know, that calling the quarter amazingly is still the number one use case uh, for it. Uh, where do you, uh, and then, uh, of course, you're starting to see uh, more evolution into into more uh second, uh, third derivative type use cases. And, you know, sometimes alternative data, maybe more so a few years ago, gets a bad name because um, some of the uh, maybe more narrower consumer transaction data sets were really only used for, for calling Netflix quarterly earnings. Uh, but right. there's so much more to consumer transaction data and to all the other different categories of, of alternative data, whether it's satellite data, employment data, and so on. But within consumer transaction data, could you maybe talk about some of the use cases for the longer term, uh, you know, fundamental investor, uh, the Wellingtons, the Fidelities, uh, and so forth, the the, the Bernsteins, um, um, away from the quarterly short term use cases. Yeah, and then by, and that's my background too, right? As a as a sell side analyst, I was a, a beverage and household personal care analyst, so. Uh, you know, deep fundamental use cases is what is what uh, I always did uh, as an analyst. So, you know, what we're seeing when the kind of fundamental data analysis you can do with our data gets into, it could be things like looking at customer churn, customer retention, new versus repeat customers, uh, cross shop, uh, you know, a retailer is going out of business. Uh, the, where are those customers going? Uh, so now we have the case of like JCPenney. Where, where, where were JCPenney shoppers also shopping historically? What other retailers? And then uh, as they're closing stores, where are those shoppers going? Uh, what's happening in a specific geography? Um, what's happening with a specific cohort demographic group? Uh, there's a new product being tested. Uh, it's a certain market that it's happening in. Um, can we read into that and extrapolate out how that might be when they roll it out nationwide? There's a new entrant in a category. Uh, how, it, might this uh, shake up the category? Uh, what's happening with price mix? Um, so there's a lot of all these kind of uh, second derivative type questions that you can ask uh, that really kind of get at, well, is this trend that I'm seeing, uh, is it temporary? Is there going to be a change in this trend because of these other things, you know, early identification of changes in trend or new trends from doing all this other kind of analysis on this churn, retention, cross shopping, geographic, uh, cohort type cutting of the data. And again, uh, I think there's just incredible opportunity because I still see 90% of the use case 
on calling the quarter here, you know, in, in, and obviously 2020 has been a year where we've had such incredible volatility that suddenly, you know, the geographic cuts became unbelievably important to look at as states are opening up, what's happening at the state level, what's happening online versus in store. So channel and geo absolutely critical. Um, but then for longer term investors, you know, understanding, um, you know, changes in trend, early identification of trend on all those kind of variables that I that I just described, uh, which get way beyond what's happening in the quarter. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, there's there's um, probably, an, uh, you know, an increasing number of providers data vendors in your category, in the consumer transaction data category, um, offering to help firms call the quarter and, and look for the items you mentioned, churn and so forth. How, how do you do, differentiate Consumer Edge versus the other competitors, Bill? Yeah, and, 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 and you know, some of the new entrants, you wind up having noise or there's a specific niche. So there's, there's room for more data sets, you know, that are filling in uh, pieces of the puzzle. For us, we try to have excellence across a number of dimensions. You know, we uh, across our uh, customer service. So through the selling process, the uh, the trialing, holding their hand, answering their questions, being there on the weekend when the question comes in, and someone's doing their analysis. Uh, so customer service, uh, uh, and that comes, you know, from my sell side uh, background, where whenever the client comes in and asks a question. Uh, you answer it and you answer it quickly and you respond to them. You don't leave them hanging and you get them an answer quickly. Uh, also, quality of the product. Uh, they, ha they have to really trust you on the quality. I mean, they're, you know, they're making investment decisions on this and uh, uh, you need to be transparent with them. You know, if something goes wrong with the data or also the limitations of the data. So someone, if someone needs to understand, oh, the data is indicating this. Uh, yes, it is. But uh, you need to consider these other factors. Remember, we're not uh, let the a random example, you know, a Home Depot or a Lowe's, you know, oh, we're not really tracking uh, the contractors like we are the consumer. And so there's uh, right now, uh, let's say during COVID, if there was a major shift to uh, consumers uh, do it yourself versus using a contractor in your house, um, you might have the actual reported results uh, be uh, higher than uh, than the results because the contractor part of the mix could be dropping off and, and you're not uh, capturing that in the shift. Or um, uh, we had an example of what was going on now with uh, debit cards. As the government gave back um, the re you know twelve hundred dollars to uh, to each person that hits your checking account, it hits and you wind up all of a sudden a massive shift to debit over credit, and uh, and you need to understand that because the credit cards are saying one thing, the debit cards are saying the other, and you need to know well what is the real mix in the economy of debit versus credit? If we're underweight debit or overweight debit, it's going to over understate the reality, and so you need to identify that quickly. The other thing that happened is when COVID hit. All of our panels across ourselves and a lot of our competitors, um, they weren't working suddenly. Panels that worked for years weren't working because there was a massive drop off in consumer uh, right uh, activity. And historically, when you have a normal economy that goes up a couple of percent or down a couple of percent, um, we all we don't have perfect information, right? None of our data sets has every single person. In the in the say in our case the U.S. right what they're doing every day right you have a sample and so you've had to build a panel to represent what's happening in the economy off that sample and so in the past 
you know, new cards are coming in, new cards are leaving, and uh, we have a massive drop off in activity. Your panel might not expect that. It doesn't know if people canceled their credit card or they're not buying. And so the algorithm, and so we had to scramble very, very quickly to develop new panels because we recognized instantly back in March that what we were showing was actually overstating what was really happening in the drop-off. We weren't showing the full drop-off because our panels were compensating for the sudden collapse in activity. And so all of this kind of stuff, when it gets into quality control and just being there, uh, and then another thing I would say is just massive innovation. We have a culture where we are constantly innovating and evolving the product uh, on a uh, on a weekly, on a monthly basis, responding to the client's uh needs. Uh, so very quickly, whether it be changing the panel, changing what you're tracking, getting that more geographic granularity out there, because that now is the client's priority. What you were working on is no longer their priority, and you need to shift your innovation pipeline around quickly. So uh, you know, I think our quality, our customer service, our innovation uh, are all things that really uh, you know stand out. That's excellent, Bill. And so look, looking back, um, what lessons what lessons learned? What are your top lessons learned if you were to speak to yourself uh, five years ago and give yourself advice with hindsight uh, when you were uh, setting up uh, the company? What, what would you tell yourself? Three three items. Um, well, uh, I would say, uh, you know, big thing in, in the big picture of what we're doing right now, uh, the fact that the corporate world is so different from the investor world. You need a different product. You need a different sales team. Uh, you need uh, different uh, customer service. Everything about corporate um, is different, and you just can't take this one product and uh, give it to the government. Give it a private private equity is a different product than than uh, that you know. And there are some things. Yes, the investor relations group in a company, and and there are some things that cut across all those verticals. But in the big picture, they're very very different. So the difference uh, um, in the verticals. Uh, the other thing. Um, would have been uh, would I have imagined you know uh, if I you, I go back we launched the the transaction product in 2018 um, and uh, kind of uh, the uh, you know how big our team has grown and the pace of innovation uh, is, is unbelievable you know it just accelerates uh, you know the size of our team and the pace of our innovation just keeps accelerating and I wouldn't have known back in 2018. Um, you know, you start out with a small team, you start out with your initial product and just how complex uh, it would get, you know, on all fronts and just uh, how many people are doing so many different things to kind of maintain uh, this and, and deliver it. So behind the scenes, what's happening, uh, you know, late at night and on weekends and all that to kind of uh, give that customer uh, that quality experience and not let them see uh, necessarily all the fire drills and stuff that, that go into that uh, satisfaction. So it just takes a lot. Uh, to have that, you know, that kind of excellence uh, uh, that I talked about. Um, and then um, I would say, uh, you know, everything always takes uh, longer than expected, too. So for us, a big opportunity is international. And, um, you know, just like when we launched our product in 2018, we started building that product in 2016. So I go back to that. I wouldn't have known it was going to take us two years to get that product out, number one. And now with international, uh, we are, you know, on the verge of launching uh, an international product, meaning international data. Um, we already sell our U.S. product into international, but I'm talking about, you know, international data. 
And uh, like we experienced in 2018 on the U.S., it takes longer than expected. Uh, and it's it's the technical, it's the compliance, the regulatory, all parts of it, things uh, as fast as I'm telling you, things are speeding up innovation and we're doing things amazingly fast. Everything takes uh, uh, a, a really long time to happen, to launch something new to the world. And when you say international bill, uh, which countries specifically do you mean? We are starting uh, with Europe uh, is our priority uh, and then uh, Asia behind it uh, for us. Uh, but for us, uh, the, the first big expansion out of the U.S. Um, on the transaction data side on this you know, product that we've built here in the U.S., uh, the, the closest thing that's now going to look like that outside the U.S. is going to be Europe uh, for us. So we're very excited. Uh, it's been uh, a long, long uh, path to getting there. Uh, we're near, uh, you know, we're on the goal line with it. And we expect to have new news there very soon um, and uh, very, very excited about it. The opportunity is amazing. We will use the same playbook we did in the U.S. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, segmentation on the product itself, on the verticals, all that type stuff. So all the learnings we've had in the last several years will be applied to Europe. Um, and so we're very excited about it. But there's been, you know, uh, you know, all fronts, uh, legal, regulatory, technical, every part of the process is very, very complex. But the good news is, is once you clear all that, uh, it, it, you know, there are some barriers uh, uh, to doing it. And, uh, and we bring our excellence to it, excellence to customer service, selling, support, quality uh, of the product. Uh, we're hoping we can duplicate uh, the success that we've had in the U.S. market. I want to touch on, uh, you mentioned the word legal. Um, you know, how do you see data privacy, uh, both in the U.S. And, and in Europe? Oh, it's, it's, a, no, it's a top, top issue. Um, obviously, you know, you have your GDPR in Europe. And then the U.S., uh, we have the California law. But if you look out, uh, and look, you know, uh, there, there, there are political uh, stuff behind this, too, right, in terms of the timing uh, but it is inevitable when you look out over the next five years uh, that privacy, you know, is more and more important and an issue. And, and, and I think, you know, when you look out over the next, you know, six, 12 months, absolutely, you know, here in the U.S., uh, looking for potential federal laws on it, uh, the states have taken it into their own hands. But uh, look at what's happening uh, in the tech world right now, right? When you have, um, you know, Apple is going to be changing stuff on their uh, device IDs. You have stuff changing on the cookie front, right, with Safari and uh, uh, Google Chrome, et cetera, with the, um, uh, you know, tracking of cookies and uh, a lot of stuff going on with look, look at some of the events. We've had data sets taken out of the market right in the last year, whether it be browser type data, uh, location data, which, of course, everybody's embracing right now uh, because of COVID and, 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 and what location data does for you uh, from a health tracking standpoint. But when it comes to privacy, uh, uh, you know, uh, your cookies and browsing and, and where you're walking. And, of course, on our side with transaction data, uh, there's been a lot of uh, stuff going on there. And so uh, we uh, we put as much behind that as we do behind customer service and, and all the excellence that I talked about in all those other areas. Uh, privacy is front and center for us. And so. Uh, it's a whole uh, it's a whole focus area. Uh, it, it's a whole uh, area of important attention when it comes to the legal and privacy, understanding where it's going, how you have to comply with where it is today, anticipating where it's going, because it's going to be changing and you can't be just where it is today. And it's going to be changing. And uh, 
it's critical. Mm-hmm. And maybe looking ahead, then, um, what are your one or two predictions for the uh, for the data space? Um, I think we are going to see, um, you know, more sophistication. Uh, so, well, first of all, we talked about, you know, 90% of the use case being calling the quarter. So I do think when it comes to answering all of those other questions, you know, the other use cases are going to become uh, more of the mix. It's kind of everybody has, uh, you know, the tracking of the quarter does become uh, commoditized. You know, those who do it, there's still opportunity to, to generate the alpha there because you you do it in your own way. You understand the pitfalls. You understand how to model it better, uh, uh, blending other data sets in. But I think, you know, getting into uh, the predictive analytics and all of that, uh, that's coming. You know, the, the data, applying data science uh, to all of this, uh, we're seeing it. So we're in our products beginning to use data science in blending other data sets together and coming up with, you know, machine learning uh, machine learning is not new. It's there. But now as we're applying machine learning and predictive analytics to our data, uh, there's some incredible products that we're going to be able to bring to market and what investors are going to be able to do internally uh, using machine learning and data science. I think it's going to change what's happening inside the buy side. It's going to change what's happening inside the suppliers like our company who services the buy side and the corporates and the private equity and the government. So I am incredibly excited about uh Dozens of applications for data science uh, across this, and that's what we're uh, moving to. Excellent. Bill, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Emmett. That's a wrap for this episode of Profiting from Data. Thank you for listening. This podcast series is brought to you by Eagle Alpha, the pioneer in alternative data. To learn about Eagle Alpha solutions for data vendors and buyers, please visit eaglealpha.com.